0: I went through basic training, just like everybody else um, that goes into the military, at a place called Fort Knox in Kentucky. Now Fort Knox is infamous for being the hardest uh, basic training, and um, I mean, it definitely has its reputation and everything, and me, I, I guess I wasn't um, wasn't wanting to play the games, you know, particularly the games that seem like they're aimed at younger kids and everything. I was at the time I went through basic training, I was thirty-two years old. And most everybody that was in there was eighteen to eighteen to twenty three. There was a couple that were a little bit older and everything, but I was definitely older going through basic. And for me it was um it was the type of thing that um, I was really I was in in had enrolled and gone through this process for two reasons one uh, probably three reasons you know one was it was a requirement by the the NSA in order for anybody to go in front into intelligence services and everything just like the CIA you have to go through a you know through basic training and you have to actually enlist in the military so basically the military of your choice and everything so whether or not that's Coast Guard or Army or Navy or Marines um, or the Air Force. Um, Everybody is absolutely required that that goes into the CIA. So, if you're not aware of this, you are now. Anybody that goes into the CIA or the NSA absolutely has to go through um, through the military training. Now, one of the things that, um, you know, that everybody else goes through You know, and one of the things that I was actually, one of the things that, the other things that I was interested in was definitely pushing myself when it came down to my physical health. I wanted to be at the peak of my own physical condition. So, and with that, I was hoping that I'd actually get that, you know, with the military, the U.S. military's assistance and everything. And, you know, clearly the last thing was, you know, in order to basically get in and you know, get my $8, $8 million paycheck and everything. Um, I had to go through eight years of service, so it was an absolute requirement. But uh, this doesn't mean that I had to go through normal training and everything, just like everybody else did. So, one of the first things I recognized in the uh, going through basic training was a couple of the drill sergeants would grunt about desk work. And I... I was called into the drill sergeant's office one, one day to pick up something. Mm-hmm. It was only about um, maybe three or four weeks. You know, it was about three weeks into training and everything, and I ended up. Um, I, I ended up, you know, indicating that I have a. A, I'm rather adept at computers. And one of the drill sergeants about two days later called me back down to the office. It was a little bit, uh, it was like after hours, I think it was about nine or or ten o'clock or something like that in the evening, and uh, lights were already out by then, but you know, I'm just like, shit. So he calls me down and, uh, and ends up saying, you know, look, it's going to take the IT guys, you know, <laughs> a couple days for them to come down. Is there, can you fix this? And I said, oh, I'll take a look at it, and within about Literally within about five minutes, I had the thing fixed. So he's awful, you know, beyond thinking me. So, anyways, the next, it was literally the next day, uh, about, uh, it was about two o'clock in the afternoon or something like that, as we're going through the drills and at that point, um, the drill sergeants are being, just being assholes, you know, they, they have a tendency to have their asshole time, you know, where they'll just make you do shit just because they can, and uh, at that point, I end up going through this, you know, this lineup, and all of a sudden, um, one of the drill sergeants says, Gregory, drop out of line, I'm just like, oh shit, you know, and I, at this, I thought I was doing something wrong um, drill sergeant so-and-so wants to see you in the, uh, see you in the office. Okay, it was the same drill sergeant from the day before. And, uh, I ended up going in there, and at this point he goes, uh, the, he, he goes, here he is. And the other drill sergeant looks at me and says, I understand you're pretty good with computers. Yeah? He goes, can you do me a favor and, or can you, um, can you do this, can you enter this information into this Excel spreadsheet? So, I just started cracking up, I'm just like oh, okay, data entry, you know, fuck it. Sure, why not? I mean, it literally, it was like, desk job, kick back and do this, or, you know, get my ass handed to me out there in the, in the lineups and everything. So, I spent the next uh, two and a half hours... Doing this, and at that point they ended up bring bringing me a couple sodas, and I was treated, you know, pretty well at this point, point. And they're just like, going, they fucking hate the dust, the dust work, dust work, and everything. So they'd much rather leave to somebody like me. So at that point, I ended up befriending almost every drill sergeant on the staff, and almost every every but every enlisted uh, uh, NCO on staff. And I'm not shitting you when I say everybody had some kind of computer work that they needed help with or something like that that I ended up uh, helping with. Now, that, that for me was just, it made um, basic training a little bit easier, you know, than most. So I ended up going through this whole process and, um, I mean, I broke my ankle about seven weeks into it. <laughs> into You know, to be honest, I I think uh, it had a little bit to do with the fact that I was just, I was still so tired and everything, you know, just like everybody else. Everybody that goes through basic training is just stressed the hell out because you're, they're really, they, they don't allow you to sleep much. You're getting basically two to three hours of sleep a night, and this is going on for ten weeks, and... No, it just wears you the hell down mentally, you know. And that's part of the psychological reprogramming. You become a different person. You become a product of the UCMJ, and you you more or less drop the constitutional uh, requirement, and you know you literally become a different person. So, um, but uh, for me, it was you know every time there was something that was. Basically, the drill sergeants were allowed to dick with the, the platoon. Um, more often than not, at that point, I would actually get called into the offices, and whether or not it was it was any of the NCOs or the first sergeant or anybody. I mean, I remember the first sergeant actually pulling me into his office, and the guy is just saying, "How is that?" That was I remember his question. It was it was about uh, nine o'clock at night, uh, right at about bedtime. And he calls me into his office and he goes, close the door. Closes the door. And at this point, this guy felt like he can talk to me. That was one of the interesting things. And, um, you know, this guy is, you know, kind of like a hardened military guy. He's been in for a while and he's been into retirement. And he's actually nearing retirement. This is his last basic training. And he said that a couple times and everything. And uh, at this point, he ends up, um, you know, saying to me, he goes, how is it out there? And I said what? The civilian world. And he goes, how is it out there? I just, uh, I'm, I'm afraid, you know, I'm, I'm literally afraid, because I just don't know what to expect, and this just doesn't, you know, this seems so, so difficult for me. You know, and I'm just like, "Oh, wow! I just didn't expect this from the, this first sergeant. I thought I was going to get reamed for helping out all the other drill sergeants. And it turns out, you know, this guy's actually, you know, the few conversations that he's had, you know, with me, um, turns out the guy likes how I'm how I'm treating his uh, his drill sergeants and everything, and how I'm supporting these guys. So it's really interesting. We ended up talking. I mean. Um, Bed, bed bedroll was called, and the drill sergeants went around, and all of a sudden, they are looking for me, and uh, one of them went to go report that I was missing out of my bunk and everything to the first sergeant, and the first sergeant's just like, no, he's right here. Oh, okay, okay, false alarm. So, you know, he kept me in there for a couple hours, and, um, at that point to is they ended up letting, or overlooking any, I, I really didn't have that many transgressions. There was a couple times I snuck food, you know, the food, uh, the defect, the dining facility, um, things like that. But it really did make the whole uh, going through basic training a lot easier. Now, afterwards, I got to thinking. Um... And this is actually as a result of something I've been watching lately. It's called DC's Legends of Tomorrow. Now, I um, they had an awesome, awesome episode. Uh, season 2, episode 11. And it was about a... Uh, it was about a... Um, basically a time loop. They, they have a, a new girl on board. And she's... I think she's Arab. And uh, her name's Amara. And... What ends up happening was Mara uh, starts realizing a couple loops into it, that she's in this time loop, and she doesn't know why. And uh, she gets put back to the loop one hour before the, the whole ship explodes, killing everybody, and boom, she wakes up instantly, and she's an hour before. And she's literally in the process of getting reamed by her captain and the captain's a woman, and a whole sequence of of events like Groundhog Day um, end up happening. And she starts memorizing who's doing what, um, where people are, what's going on, yada yada yada. To the point that uh, she's just you know she it's it's almost driving her insane. Well, I I sat there and you know it was. Easily, the whole Groundhog Day thing is just a meaningful thing to me. You know, it's, I'm not going to say it's, it's personally meaningful, but a lot of times I actually feel like I'm going through my own form of a Groundhog Day anyways. You know, and I wake up, you know, it's a new day. Sure, the date progresses, you know, but really it's kind of more of the same thing. I play another game, I continue the game just a little bit further, and... You know, at this point, it's just like, that's, that's, you know, the progression that I have and everything, but for the most part, nothing really changes around me. it has been this way for probably six or seven years. You know, but, uh, going back to this whole Amara thing, they end up, she ends up, um, finally enlisting the assistance of the crew, and they end up, uh, finally breaking her out of the time loop and everything. But it's just if you've seen the movie Groundhog Day, it's an awesome perspective and everything on on time. Well, I I play you know my games a lot, and I I've, I've been playing on realistic, the hardcore, most advanced mode that you po- can possibly can play on Watch Dogs 2, and now Watch Dogs 1. And Watch Dogs 2, while it was a little bit easier, because I ended up keeping myself out of distance from things, you have the capability to be able to use the remote control devices and everything, which makes it so where death happens very infrequently and everything, you don't have the same options that you do in Watch Dogs, the first one. Now, I die, and in this, in two missions today in particular, I died on one mission, um, no less than 40, 40 to 50 times. Now, here's what I'm thinking. From one perspective, you know, you have Amara living this life and everything, you know, that's, that's more or less going through and she's trying, you know, and all of a sudden, boom, she wakes up and she's an hour before and she has to figure out this whole sequence of events and everything, and, and what to do slightly different with the knowledge of what happened before. And then stop the repetition, right? Now, me, I'm overseeing an Avatar a character, Lankamara. Like and I end up getting just a little bit more progressed into this one mission, and all of a sudden, boom, I die again. Now, I've got complete memory of the event. I go back to the beginning of that time that that mission starts. And at that point, I wash, rinse, repeat, and try all the different events just slightly differently. Now, this one in particular was, it was outside a hotel room. Now, the the main character's name is called Aiden, and um, Aiden is, his, um, his sister has been abducted. And his sister's daughter, or uh, nephew, his nephew, his sister's son, is um, is basically he's making sure that he's being kept safe. And his his niece had actually been killed by these people that are now out out to get his uh, get the rest of his family, more or less. Now, there's a uh, one scene in particular where he's in this hotel. It's called the Owl's Nest Hotel, and um, He's being helped by another hacker, and all of a sudden, they realize that everybody's converging on their point, and they've managed to backtrace the hacks that he's been doing. And uh, at this point, they ended up coming to the hotel and literally surrounding the hotel room with a whole contingent of people, you know, that are are more or less secret uh, you know, most of them are agents of various kinds. Many are veterans and snipers and that kind of stuff all around this facility and everything. And it's a more or less my job, you know, to make sure that Aiden and his companion get out of this alive. Well, there's three three on the roof on one roof. Um, three snipers on one roof. There's uh, four snipers on another roof, so that's seven. There's four, eight, ten... Ten on the ground at first, and then five at the other level, so that makes for nearly 22 um, people in various positions and everything that kill within basically one shot. It's one to shoot two shots, and I'm dead. So, um, if they get a headshot, boom, I'm dead instantly. If they get a shoulder shot or something like that, then... You know, at that point, I I might be able to survive, but typically, one means two. So, I keep dying, you know, fucking time and time and time again. And the problem is, the, the mission leads with me going down this one corridor... And that's literally the most dangerous corridor. Now I can't go back and go back the other way just because I'm even more vulnerable if I go back the other way too. So I'm kind of like left in between you know, in between these places and everything. Well if I had my my druthers, I'd probably pound out a door you know, and try and smash in a door because it looks like a cheap hotel and everything, and basically go through a back window or something like that. But I don't have that option. You know, the game actually limits the options. If you try to press on a door, you'll, you'll never be able to make it through just because it's... You know, impenetrable. Literally impenetrable. So you're left to go down the story mode path and everything. They call This is what they refer to as realistic mode. Semi-realistic. And it's not realistic in the sense that you're going to have the option to be able to go anywhere you want. You have to go down the predefined path and everything. So, I got to thinking about this from a Mars perspective. You know, so here I am. You know, I'm basically seeing all this, and repeating this event over and over and over again. My dad comes over at one time when I sighed really loud. What's wrong? I said, I died. He goes, what do you mean, you died? I said, I died fucking again. You know, I keep playing this game, and I showed him it, and I said, I'm trying to get him over here. And see those guys up there? Three snipers? You know, one of them. And inevitably, I peeked my head up, and boom! blows my head off. You know, it's just like, he he laughs, chuckles, and he walks away. Well, here's the thing that I've realized over time. My life, from my perspective, has, has been both the life of Amara, and also the life of Aiden, and also the life of myself and everything, too. Now, here's the thing that's happened over time. Um, when I when I went through basic training I actually have re- these really odd memories of getting shot in the head um, there was a there was a point in time where the drill sergeant uh, made a comment we had something called open range fire where we had to do low crawl and underneath barbed wire we had to um, uh, just basically, there was like a little obstacle course that uh, we had to go over and everything. And uh, the drill sergeant made it clear that they're going to be shooting live rounds over overhead of us, and don't pop our head up, you know. And I didn't know whether or not to believe him. There was a lot that was going on with these, you know, with all of this and everything. That it's just like, well, is it? Isn't it a leak? You know. But then we started thinking, and we started talking to each other. It's just like, wait a second it's not necessarily legal because they're not bound by the USMJ. If somebody dies in training, you know, I mean, this isn't, you know, so we're just going back and forth like this. So as we're, as I'm doing the low crawl as I get this thought that goes through through my head, you know. I mean, tracers, and, you know, it's going to really fucking hurt, you know, so it's not going to kill you, but a, a tracer will still fucking hurt. It's like having a a rubber pellet, you know, bouncing off you and everything at a really fast speed and everything, but if it's a bullet, you know, it's just like, it will kill you, you know, in particular, I mean, if it's, you know, and uh, somebody made the comment about putting a hand up, it's like, if you want your hand blown off, sure, you know, and um, so I, I remember thinking, you know, damn. That does seem like it's real, I mean, you know, because they've actually got grenades they're throwing off, over off to the side and everything, you know, they're all supposed to be simulating this reality of, of warfare and everything. (laughs) And, uh, it was downright fucking scary, because, A, none of us wanted to get too close to the grenades that were going off, and they were real grenades, you know, and we were, we were staring clear of it, they were just making clear that, hey, those grenade noises are, you know, they're not noise, just noises, these are real grenades, and, um, you know, they're throwing it in locations that we're, we're strictly instructed to stay away from, you know, but here, here we are on hypersensitive alert, Basically making sure that we're not going anywhere near those grenades, where the grenades are going off. And as, as I look above, I'm just seeing this tracer fire that's going literally, you know, four feet, you know, three to four feet above us. Not even that, was about three feet above us. You know, and here we are doing a low crawl underneath barbed wire, you know, and got that shit up above us. It's just like, wow. You know, it was actually one of the scarier moments of my life. It's just like... It's, I mean going through basic was wasn't that horribly difficult, but there was times like that that definitely made me think. well, a much later, you know, um, going through the events that I went through I went through back in 2011, um, I actually started getting some weird memories back of, of going through basic training and I remember standing up and getting shot in the head and killed. Well, it's just like, wait a second. You know, let's say, let's say, you know, um, there's another point in time where I ended up, um, I I remember being really, 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 really super anxious about the DC Sniper when we were out in DC and everything, and why is it the DC Sniper would happen to be out there at the same exact time that I'm out there? You know, and why is it this military guy is out there, too? You know, so they had actually closed down the you know closed down the base entirely, made it so none of us can go out and everything. And um, I, I I snuck off base one time. I ended up uh, you know just, NSA had, had required me to meet him uh, to meet someplace at uh, one of the locations and everything. So. I had to sneak off base, and I was, not only was I worried about being caught by the drill sergeants and everything, but I was fucking mortified, you know, I'd be, you know, (laughs) caught by the sniper, so, tad insult to injury, not only am I being caught by a sniper, but, You know, if I died like that. Well, here's the weird thing. I actually remember having memories of being shot in the head then, too. And I've actually got this weird scar on my forehead. I've never really known where it's come from. Right in the middle, you know, right right up above my eyes and everything. Tiny little scar, but it's just like, wow. You know, let's say, let's say for purposes of illustration, the Amara-type events, the Groundhog Day were, I die. But I go back an hour. I die. I go back an hour. You know, um, I try different events out and everything. And let's say that me, when I die, rather than having the memories of those events, the memories of these are fed to me through emotions. And instead of actually remembering the things, Instead, I'm having my instincts and my insides are actually guiding me. So, rather than driving myself utterly insane, you know, with um, having to remember going through an event ten, fifty, a hundred, a thousand times, rather than that, I chose to do something different. And I chose to actually not remember going through these events but instead get some powerful influences through the, you know, through my emotions, through my instincts, through the things inside of me. You know, that ultimately ended up guiding me, you know, pushing me, telling me which, which choices to make, which choices not to make. You know, so ultimately... You know, let's say I did die by that sniper and everything, and let's say I have a piece of me that does log those memories, you know, log memories of those events, but it shoves it into my subconscious, you know, and uh, it keeps on doing this for anything, so I don't really lose my memories, per se, but what I do do is I do get information from the future, and I shove it into my subconscious, and that information, you know, It'll, it'll guide me for my, future, for my actions as I'm taking, taking the choices and everything I go. You know, so let's say I go, you know, 10 years down the line, 20 years down the line, and all of a sudden I come to the determination the this future really sucks. I don't want to do this. Boom. You know, let's say I die and I'll, all of a sudden I come back to this life again and everything. Well. You know, ultimately I'm getting a whole—what I think is actually happening, you know, for me in my reality—I'm not saying everybody's like this, but I'm suspecting a lot of people are like Amara, where she might actively consciously make the choice to remember everything, including the Groundhog Day-like moments, and um, at that point, once that happens and everything, you know. She figures out how to actually overcome it. But at what cost? You know, it completely wears away her psyche. So here she is, you know, she's only on board this ship, literally. You know, it's it's been two weeks. And by the time she's done, you know, living this cycle of that hour, she has quite literally lived you know, for a couple years on board that ship, getting to know everybody. Getting to know absolutely everybody. From every perspective. And here's the interesting thing. You know, she could kill some in one iteration. You know, and that's one thing she did You know, we probably don't see the time that she ends up seducing them and having sex with them. They censor all that out. You know, but the other times, I mean, she sneaks into everybody's room. She breaks into their into their phones. She, you know, she <laughs> violates just about every fucking rule there is in order to put a stop to this thing until finally she gets people figured out and out. And at this point, she basically says, okay, I'm done with this time loop. Not only that, I love you guys, but I've gotten to know you too well over this period of time, and I'm getting out of here. I'm checking out stage left. And boom. She ends up, once she get, breaks out of the time loop and everything, she gets, she's done with it. Well, I think that's that's one perspective of reality that people have, that some people have. You know, I don't know, you know, if, if we're gonna point fingers and basically say maybe it's the Arab perspective and everything. It's quite possible. Is that how they live life? Is that why they're known? You know, for the you know the bombing of themselves and everything and and that kind of stuff and why and why they do it I don't know I honestly don't know, <laughs> but the way I do look at it is it's just like how how can you and here's the interesting thing. 9-11, they all left. They all left America once the bombs actually hit. Once uh, the World Trade Center, they bounced into the World Trade Center and everything. Maybe it was their minds being shifted into a different, into a different you know version of themselves or something like that. I don't know. <sighs> But all I do know is, it, for me, it, it took a long time to understand, you know, that the way I look at time, in a linear fashion... You know, it was probably naive at first, to believe that it was all completely linear. I mean, my mind, you know, I'm just like a computer system, goes out and estimates infinite different possible futures. I'll go, and, and it does it in a way that's a little bit intriguing to me. You know, and it does the same thing with the past, too. You know, is this past a good past to contribute to my current future, or to my, my current present? Or, is it better left-segmented? Isolated? You know, as a, as a fictional a fictional reality, also known as an alternate reality. Is it, is it one of the, one of the, well, I mean, clearly it's one of the many, you know, paths that contribute to my, my here and now, you know, because I do classify everything as real. But, I actually, the one thing I really had to understand, you know, over a longer period of time and everything, was that every thread every possibility that's happened in the past, you know, and that also happens concurrently in alternate realities. Alternate realities are based in the future, alternate realities are based in the past, alternate realities are based at the same time as mine and everything, all contribute to and influence, you know, my perspective and everything. Now when I pay attention to it, that's what emphasizes that perspective, but it's my choice, my desires, my um, wants, my not-wants, you know, and also the possible past, well, the possible futures this leads to that ultimately has me saying, yes or no, I don't want that. Now, I've been finding myself increasingly saying, fuck this, this that dystopian shit. You know, I just keep on having this recurring theme in my world, you know, on movies and TV shows, of a dystopian future, of a of a horrid future, of this blown up world, of all the shit going on and everything. It's just like why? Why? I'm just not interested in that. You know, actively. You know, I'm saying this. Well, let's say my mind goes out and and estimates the possibilities that actually arise as a result of the influences that are actually hitting me in my life, and that these dystopian futures arise from those possibilities, which instantly, I shouldn't say instantly, but once, once it's actually exhausted the possibilities of that dystopian future, ultimately my mind comes back and says, oh, yet another one, yet another one. You know? I mean, if I'm just getting, you know, poor contributions, you know, for the different possibilities that are leading to the future and everything, you know, I know to some degree I've got to alter the way I perceive the world and everything. I've got to take the different influences and know, you know, inherently, instinctually know, that not only is this shaping my future, but it's also shaping my past. So when I play a video game, for instance, you know, the one thing I've actually been actively asking a lot lately has been, as I play a video game, there's some, there's some simultaneity to me playing it and its development by those that actually created it to begin with. I realize that now. It's like watching a movie. When you watch a movie, you make the assumption that you know, this movie has been dried and put away, and, you know, by the time you see it, it's it's gone through so many different eyes and everything, it's just a fixed thing, it's a fixed entity. You know, but one of the weird things about a dynamic reality is realizing that the interactions that we have, that I have, with my reality, on a real-time basis and everything, are in effect literally shaping the minds of those that actually created it at the time they created it, to develop different plot lines, different, different stories, to enhance, to evolve, to change characters, to do all these things. My mind is, in a literal sense, in much the same way that I'm altering Aiden and his life and his world. My mind influences those minds, many minds, that created this movie to begin with. At the time they did, five, six, seven years ago, the end product that they end up developing that comes to my eyes at that point is exactly what I alter and shape them to, you know, that actually ends up coming to me. Now, how this works is really, you know, kind of, you gotta, the way I look at it is you gotta understand energy, you know, and also the true nature of a digital reality. Now, for me, there's infinite different, well, there's a finite potential number of digital realities. But there's an infinite number of potential realities. And that finite number of digital realities is a subset of the infinite number of, of realities altogether. There's some realities that simply can't be classified in concrete terms, and abstract, and they have to be actually quantified in abstract methods. There's no quanti... and to that, it's kind of an oxymoron. There's no quantification possible with it. So, and here's one thing that I'm kind of like chuckling at, too. When I ended up going through and making alterations, you know, to those programs and everything, back when I ended up uh, entering the data and taking those numbers. You know, the funny thing is, I ended up altering the very state of this nation, you know, and my world, in a very real sense, in a very literal sense. You know, because all I had to do was just basically my mind interacting with a future mind knew the path that I wanted to take because of the simultaneity of time. So there was a part of me that knew where I was going, where I wanted to go, and becoming Q. You know, like, like Q. Not Q himself, but like a Q. There was a part of me that knew this, instinctually, inherently. Had a, simultan- a simultaneous connection. And maybe it's the words that I'm explaining right now actually create that connection. It's a part of it. It establishes that it reinforces the connection. Let's just put it that way. So, let's say instead of entering the 27, you know, for one of the numbers about budget numbers locally, instead I accidentally put 26. You know, and let's say that indicated that they were spending less than they should have, and that number being less than it should have, causes a domino effect, a butterfly effect. Which actually makes it so where there's an increase in spending in a certain area, and a decrease in spending in another area, to allocate funds for it, and this creates a little bit of an imbalance, an imbalance that ripples ahead five years, ten years, fifteen, twenty years down the future, and all of a sudden it becomes like a, you know, it grows from a little butterfly fla- butterfly flap of the wings to a tornado, to a hurricane, to a black hole. And all of a sudden, at that point, because of that one simple little fuck-up that wasn't caught by a couple people because it was so minor, could have caused a cascading thing to happen, and ultimately leads me to the point that that I'm at right now. Ultimately led me to the point of trying to take my life in the desert, at that point waking me up, to the point, you know, to me believing, understanding who I am. So I went and saw the movie, um, was it, uh, Mr. Glass tonight. I'm gonna give you some spoilers, and it's really nothing that I'm spoiling that the commercial doesn't spoil, or the trailer for it doesn't spoil. But, until ultimately it's about a movie, where Mr. Glass, he's the mastermind, you know, behind all this um, transformational event that's happening where he wants the world to see and understand uh, that superheroes are real. that comic books have been a very real dialogue that's been occurring since the 1930s about real people and uh, that he suspects there's there's been a, a long-term, Um, overarching um, conspiracy that's been there to sequester this information from the public, you know, to literally keep it away from the public eyes and ears, that tales of Superman were about a very real man. And the methods have typically been used, have been harsh and confrontational to, in a literal sense, eliminate, flat-out eliminate the opposition. You know, the whole idea of balance, maintaining balance, keeping things quote-unquote fair. And, uh, but comic books have been the way this information's been leaked out to the public over the years. Well, it's, a, um, in my opinion, it's a, a pretty, uh, pretty deep and thoughtful dialogue. And what one of Mr. Glasses dialogue aimed squarely at a target that actually had a voice that could be heard around the world. And that's mine. What if, in a weird sense, he's in an alternate reality knowing that even though he died at the end of that movie and so did Bruce Wallace and the other guy, you know, and the, the movie is about the evolution of human, you know, humanity and the ability for humanity to be able to become something different you know, to I- exhibit spectacular abilities, whether or not that's superhuman strength or the capability to be able to see through somebody else's eyes and mind when they at the uh, speed of a touch or something like that, the ability to be able to fly, you know, which has been documented as, as long ago as 2,000 years ago with Jesus, you know, levitation, the ability to be able to ignite things with the mind, you know, the burning bush, the ability to be able to spread open, you know, the Red Sea, all of this stuff. What if it's just been a long-term plan to basically introduce the very real notion of superheroes into this world, people that actually have fantastic abilities, and it's not done in the spirit of unfairness. It's done just because reality kind of demands it. In every future... that at least that I've had shown to me. There's a dystopian future. It's ugly. I mean, there's some pretty futures, I'll be the first to admit. But more and more... You know, things I'm seeing just aren't pretty. It's just like, why? Well, maybe the reason for it is... The world needs something to believe in. Maybe Mr. Glass, the mastermind behind that entire event and everything that actually ultimately resulted in the creation of a movie, a movie that sends a message, a message that firmly lands with three people, me, my mom, and my dad. What if it hit its intended target? me the one who wanted to mess with time the me who the who studied time my entire life and got to playing with time in video games not knowing that when i'm saving a game i'm effectively creating one single strand of dna for one path and every time i i save it you know i'm saving a different evolutional strain you know and sometimes i die and Those evolutional strains of me dying, they're not kept. I'm only keeping the ones that I've actually progressed on, but I'm fully aware that I've died millions of times over the years. And those are the ones that I'm aware of. And I'm not, I'm not underestimating that number. I have no doubt it's that high, or even higher. I've played and I've died so many times consciously, that it makes me wonder, it doesn't make me wonder anymore. I look at a movie like Hostel and I say, Jesus, that was me. Every time I saw a guy get his nuts kicked in on a movie, I always felt it. The reason I felt it was because I had felt it, literally. When it happened originally, and it hurt that bad. That's why emotions come across movies so much to me. It's not that I'm sharing, empathizing with those characters. It's at one point in my life I was those characters. Each and every one of them. I felt a little bit alone. A couple years ago, when me and Lisa split ways, Lisa was my second wife. She came up here to Portland right before I ended up taking off out of here. She seemed sad. She asked a question. I remember meeting her up in a hotel room. I looked at her and it's just like the flame that I once had for her, it wasn't there anymore. I felt a longing for the person that she once was. But this older, more jaded, more experienced woman. I couldn't take it. Made me look at myself in the mirror too hard. Made me feel old. Made me feel guilty. She asked me. She hinted at wanting to get back together. this was only back in, like, 2011, 2012, or something like that. And I just, um, I don't know. I couldn't say yes. I mean, I was at a really bad point in my life anyways, and it would have been nice to actually have somebody to lean on. But I felt guilty enough as it was. I had already fucked up her relationship with Jackie and uh, Kenna. It's just like my career wasn't going the direction that I wanted it to. I can't unremember the things that I've seen, the things that I've experienced and everything because it's it's been too much too much information, too many what I think has been iterations. The experiences that I've had in programming and coding, multi-threaded nature and that kind of stuff, seeing dissociative identity disorder and all that kind of stuff has all been kind of like an education into my own mind and what's possible. Even video games, too. You know, it's been an education into what's possible, how to actually work through systems, round systems, um, how systems are comprised and everything, what Telnet is, and what the whole IP-based network is and everything, and how it's more or less a smoke-and-mirrors type thing. And basically, it's, it's a way to keep, you know, generally speaking, somewhat anal- analytical minds busy and entertained um, and in the box, Keeping their mind firmly in the box, without them really coming to understand that that IP network actually has many, many different variations in each reality. I mean, if you look at uh, our IP network here, it's 256.256.256.256 different variations to the eighth power. They're trying to move into the the six the six-digit one and everything, but they're having a little bit of a hard time with that getting general acceptance, and the reason for it is, I've cut on. It's not something that's evil or dastardly or anything like that, you know, but looking at a Hollywood movie and seeing things range in a zero to a thousand range and understanding that there's different URLs based on the reality that you're in. You can watch something unsuperstitious and understand that uh, all you're doing is getting a glimpse into an alternate reality. They don't have actors anymore, you know? Flat out don't have actors anymore. That's why everybody's unemployed that's in acting down in Hollywood. (laughs) Because they're actually pulling in information, pulling in TV shows for the most part from alternate realities, and that's why programming in itself is in the state that it's in, in a repetitive state. They're doing it to themselves. They're putting themselves out of business. And you know, what it's doing is fortunately it's giving the rise to you know, to some different forms of programming through Westworld and HBO and some of the other other networks and everything. Yeah, you know, but the fact of the matter is there's infinite different possibilities. And as far as time is concerned, I'm constantly fed a dialogue of information and ideas and everything. In a lot of cases, particularly when I watch something like DC's Legends of Tomorrow that says the year 1727 or 1886 or something like that, I know inherently that this is packaged with the intention of attempting to alter my past in order to create a different present. I mean, that's just the way it functions. At least right now, I think a lot of people don't, particularly those in charge, don't understand this thing called choice. They don't respect this thing called choice. Somebody like me, being given the options to basically have a, a truly what, what would be considered a Christian blessed place and everything, but I don't follow the same paradigms and same mentality. The same rules. Of course not. I'm here to change the rules. I'm here because I'm a different person. In any case, when you're supplied with infinite different possibilities... Nah, it's not infinite. An uncountable number of options to accept for both the past and the, pre- or and the future. At that point, the importance of choice, and desire, the root's head in a natural way. mean, when you're reduced to one option for the possibilities on how to move forward, and that option's unpalatable, There's other options. Other options will present themselves. Anyways, everybody's messing with time at all times. that's why I think it's so important to basically embrace the simple fact that you have your timeline, I have mine. They're not one and the same. And that's okay. That's all Einstein was trying to say. It's my belief that Einstein never actually was a math major. And it's my belief that he was never a mathematician at all. That's just the story that was written. It's my belief that Einstein was a product, a story told that grabbed hold. How many different quotes from Einstein have you heard? Have you ever heard of anybody being so quotable in their life? Did he live by quotes? Or are these quotes just fabricated, Did he maybe list five of them, or these quotes, do they all come from alternate versions of him across different realities? Are we seeing Einstein's contributions from fifteen, twenty, thirty, fifty, a hundred, a thousand different Einsteins, literally? who contributed to this one single reality. That's my belief. At any given time, the United States has hundreds of different histories, all at the same exact time. Each one is equally as accurate. Whether or not that's the Daleks where... In uh, New York, or during World War, was it World War One? Or it was the Terminators that were in there in World War Two? The Terminators coming here to the United States, trying to invade. I just think that's this world. Each of these possibilities leads to a different future. And all it takes is a single tiny little butterfly. And even if that butterfly is just me, making a left when I should have made a right, and that right meant somebody lived, that ends up causing a deviation so substantial in a future that that one that led to war, that ends up with the Terminator being sent back to kill that, that ends up causing a cascade of events to happen in a loopy weird way, my right turn, that was critical at that one crucial moment, that one butterfly caused a complete deviation of that reality in the future that made it so where nothing that was planned, happened. Spinning off and making it so that Terminator conflict never happened, so that dystopian future I didn't want didn't happen, all it takes is one, one tiny little step. That little cascade, me choosing to go to the store, to Fred Meyer's for instance, (laughs) Or I took somebody's parking place, making it so where they ended up going around. And at that point, maybe they dropped their phone in frustration, not getting that crucial call that was gonna land them in their job, at a place that would have actually created the next version of Skynet. Not that one crucial critical coder not picking up their phone caused the taking of a second choice and that second choice person ends up dying from a heart attack three months in losing years worth a code in the process, because they ended up changing things so substantially in order to go with a new paradigm that would supposedly be accelerated. But instead, it set the company back to three, four years. And all it takes is one person to constantly cause deviations in the future. Now, I know my mind is rushing ahead to all there's future possibilities, and when I don't get my way, it comes right back and reports to me, and tells me. I mean, not necessarily easy-to-understand ways, but basically it just has me kicking back here, not doing a whole lot of anything. I could do absolutely fucking nothing, and I'll still rush ahead saying, well, this ain't the future we want. Out here, ah, uh, okay. Today we take a trip to the comic book store because at that point, we're gonna get in front. of Somebody they're gonna they're going to miss the green light. They're gonna be stuck behind traffic and everything. They're gonna get an offender bender. That's gonna cause it, so where they can't call their nephew or niece or brother to give them the idea down in Los Angeles. That idea not coming across makes us where a crucial technology that was supposed to be invented and everything was never invented. The loss of just one is all it takes. And the cool thing is, because with all the different possibilities that my mind I can do a thousand, ten thousand, a hundred thousand, a million different paths in the future to find the one that will cause that remarkable deviation. Until ultimately I get what I want. Reality is weird like that. Anyways. I'm going to head to bed. Have a good night, and thank you for listening. One thing I want to add in, one last thing, was, um, at least from witnessing from the outside, I've learned that while people may be and say one thing in one iteration, the changes that you make moving forward can also alter time in the past to make it so the person that said the things, or is that person from what you knew before, can change so remarkably that they're no longer that person anymore and the things that held true for one iteration may not be true for future iterations. So let's say for instance you are a Mara and you're caught in that one hour time loop. While somebody may um, have talked about something that happened in their past or an event or an experience that they had and everything, there's a good chance that that's going to still remain valid. However, (coughs) if that person is also changing with you, um, and I I haven't been able to find a rhyme or reason to it, then there's also a good chance that they can change as well in in synchronicity with you. So, just food for thought on that whole iteration. So, if you're going through a Groundhog Day type loop and you've got your, you know, somebody you know that says something, well, they don't remain that fixed commodity for every iteration. So, let's say you go through 20, 30, 50, 100 different times and you're dealing with somebody. Well, um, they're not in the same way that you're not static they're not static either you have to always keep that in mind when it comes down to it because the energy is what's influencing it not the chronological sequence of events that happen in a precise order it's the energy and the energy that influences you and alters your perception of time and space and everything based on your experiences isn't that much different than the energy that influences them either and They are influenced by this energy across time. So the feedback that they give you, you might dig into their history and find out that their history is altogether different than you found out a hundred iterations ago. Well, that's why. You know, because when you're going through... If you're paying attention to the chronological sequence of events, and you're basing all your decisions based on one set of chronological events, you know, of information that you're basing on one person only, you know, and maybe you've asked them one time who they are, and then, you know, let's say a hundred times down the road, you know, you're making some assumptions based on that one time, and they're no longer that person because of the changes that you've been making across time and everything. It's, it's funky, the way it gets. Time's weird, you know, studying it from the outside and also from the inside. I mean, that's what I've been doing. It's just funky seeing some of the things I've seen. You know, alternate realities and how they're created and everything. Um, the mindsets and psychological, um way that humans minds deal with it. Bipolar, schizophrenia, multiple personality disorder, um, disruptions of the psyche through things like Parkinson's and and that kind of stuff. It's all really, really, really touchy because the building of the mind then creates the, the mass that creates the brain. You know, that at that point is what the structure of the physical body is actually put around. But if you're actually changing the event in time, and even though you're only dealing with a chronological hour, it's still, with the way that <laughs> there's a synchronization to it that my mind is simulating ahead in time, their minds are simulating ahead in time and just because you've only witnessed one hour of it doesn't mean that there hasn't been dramatic changes to their past to become something different based on a discovery made based on an influence of you in their reality a hundred iterations ago they want to retain that information i want to retain that information You know, so I retain it in my own way. I retain it in this thing called fiction. I mean, these are the interesting things that come to me from all the different possibilities that are out there. So, anyways, I had to add that. I thought that was significant enough to add on to basically say, just because you're only witnessing an hour worth of time or a certain chronological history does not mean that anybody else is actually witnessing, um, or I'm sorry, doesn't mean that the information you have uncovered for everyone else's chronological history remains constant. So, trippy but true.